Welcome to Essence House. Did you know the hit podcast is now a novel on Kickstarter? Find out more at EssenceHouseStory.com. Studio Ervo and Bonfire Press present Essence House by Eric J. Cockrell and Chuck Pino. Read by Michael Goodrich. Chapter 18. Heavy Wears the Crown. Tim dropped his phone on the couch in Barnabas's office and leaned back, eyes closed, consumed by the utter silence. He brooded quietly until he heard the soft chime of bells in the hall and footsteps approaching him. He didn't bother to open his eyes as they stopped at the doorframe. I still have some of your beers in my refrigerator, son. You look like you could use one, Barnabas remarked as he slowly made his way over to his overly comfortable chair and sat down with an audible sigh. One won't be enough, Tim remarked with a smile as he stood up and reached for the drink. He sat down, took a swig, and let the cool sensation overwhelm his torso. He eyed Barnabas. You held on to these for weeks, knowing I could easily be dead? Why? The elder guardsman pursed his lips and reached for his cup of barely warm tea. Faith would be the simple answer, though even simpler, I suppose, is not having the strength to throw out a perfectly good beer. Tim chuckled and gestured to the fridge. I didn't know you drank. Why don't you get one for yourself? Barnabas shook his head ever so slightly. No thank you, young sir. I haven't had the stomach for the stuff in quite some time. Beer was the only way to feel like a normal man in war sometimes. I don't need that reminder. Those times are done, and after living a lifetime in the service of the Edmonds and the Essence, I've come to realize that normal was never to be my lot in life. Looking down at his phone for a second, Tim took another swig and leaned back to stare up at the ceiling. I'm beginning to understand exactly what you mean, Barnabas. A month ago, I wouldn't have imagined I would be in the position to swap war stories with you. And yet, here we are. You, a veteran of Vietnam, and me, a pawn in World War II. He stopped himself. Pawn? No, that's overstating it. Is there something less than a pawn? The old man leaned forward. Not in chess, no. If we included other games, I would say a six and mention the gentlemanly game of poker. Poker? You know there's several numbers less than six, right? Tim chided. Barnabas smiled broadly. True, there are, but the others can connect with the ace to help create one of the better and more attainable hands in the game, a straight. They can be made better by their closeness to greatness. A six, though, will only ever be useful or great if they get very lucky or if they bluff. You, my young friend, are no six. Tim was intrigued by the metaphor. All right, then, what am I? Hardly a king, I'd say. An ace, was Barnabas's prompt response. I haven't known you to kiss ass, Barnabas, and I've hardly proven myself to the greatness you seem to be attributing me to. The elder man sipped his tea and then eyed his young companion from over the cup. The ace isn't necessarily the greatest card in the game. It has a choice. It can be the lowest or the highest. What it has is the greatest potential of any of the other cards, much like yourself. You went back and assisted your grandfather in reclaiming the cornerstone for the council, taking it out of the reaches of both the Sorensons, 
who would manipulate their own futures to better themselves, and the Nazis, whom we can be certain that power would have been a weapon of unimaginable power. Now you sit on my couch like a two, when you could be planning how to make things right, like a king. Tim felt fully admonished, but understood that this was less a lecture and more a call to action. He looked back to his phone again and breathed out slowly, his mind beginning to whir. I spoke with Greta. It would seem the man Grandpa and I trapped in time ended up at the Musée. The two of them have it out for us, and Grandpa Roland in the council, and this ace doesn't have any of his royal family around to make a proper straight. Greta swears that Tristan, Jessica, and Celeste were there, but they left before she even showed up. I believe her, so now what? He finished his beer and placed the bottle in the wastebasket beside the desk. The older gentleman opened the fridge up again and grabbed another bottle for Tim. I had faith that you would return. Now it's time for you to do the same for them. And while doing that, we could drink or we could plan. The Edmund boy took the beer and cracked a smile, as well as the cap from the bottle. How about both? In a flash of white, Tristan, Celeste, and Jessica found themselves back in the living room of Jessica's apartment. Tristan shuffled over to the chair and took a seat, while the ladies took a long, slow breath. Celeste shot Jessica a sideways glance. Jessica shrugged. I had to act fast. No one else seemed to have a plan. The youngest Edmund had her hand on the hilt of her dagger, but nodded nonetheless. You're right. Your way was less lethal. I just wish we could have gotten some more information about where he was and when. We could have gone back to the moment and gotten him. Tristan looked up while stretching out his legs. It's okay. I'm pretty sure they didn't have the information either, or they would have done something about it. We have somewhere to start at least. His voice was hollow, and he seemed to be staring off into the distance, though the living room wasn't exactly made with a horizon. Celeste didn't seem to notice and walked off into the kitchen and offered to make coffee, which both gladly accepted. Jessica sat down next to Tristan. I know that look. You're thinking about your father. He looked up at her, but couldn't force any sort of facial response. The picture was just Tim and Grandpa. My dad wasn't anywhere to be seen. I think I have to accept that he didn't make it. Tristan's voice sounded far away and his eyes didn't seem to focus on anything, despite the fact that he was looking in her direction. Jessica offered him a light kiss on the forehead and a smile. Taking his hands in hers, she met his gaze. He fought back against Greta and her goons and tried to get the cornerstone. Despite everything that had happened to him, he still tried to be a hero and do what was right. That is a legacy that can live on, in you and in the guard. Tristan Edmund shook his head. I guess, I mean, even though by the end he was part waste, he still protected the cornerstone. He didn't want anyone else making things worse. The nurse smiled and gripped his hand tighter. Exactly. When you were shot, his only thoughts were of you. He even said as such. Remember that. The two were silent for a moment, giving Rick his dues. Celeste walked in several minutes later with their mugs and placed them on the coffee table. So, good news. 
I called up Barnabas to tell him that we're back and safe. Tim's there and he's okay. I'm afraid that it's just Tim, though. I'm really sorry, Tristan. She placed a comforting hand on the man's shoulder. Tristan looked up and offered her a puffy-eyed smile. It's okay. I suspected as much. Did you tell him where to meet us? His cousin shook her head. He wasn't having it. He said for us to meet them over there. He has a lot to tell us, and he has a plan. The Essence Guard has its first real mission. The three argued for a short while about whether they should go or not. But Tristan was outnumbered, and he knew he had to man up and accept fate. He wasn't sure he was ready to see Barnabas again. But if what Celeste said was true, he had to get over his crap and move on. Just over an hour later, Celeste, Jessica, and Tristan were walking into the old shop. The bell at the door jingled, and the old proprietor came out with a smile. It's so good to see all of you safe and well. The ladies thanked him, while Tristan remained silent. Tim stepped out of the office and held out his arms. Who wants to be the first Edmund to hug in probably a really long time? He asked with a wide grin. Tristan turned to his female cousin with a wry smile. Actually, we hugged just earlier at the Musée, so it's not such a big deal anymore. Jessica playfully smacked him on the arm and then ran up and embraced Tim. She squished herself in tight against him and gave him a kiss on the cheek. I'm so glad you're back. Tristan was a grouch without you. She stepped back as Tristan came in and gave him a big, brotherly-style hug. He was a grouch with me, so I don't know what that changed, Tim said with a laugh. When Tristan stepped back, Tim gave him a serious look. Hey man, I want you to know, I did everything I could. Really, we may not have been close at the end, but he was still family. Tristan shot him a half-smile and clapped a hand on the older Edmund's shoulder. It's okay, I know. I don't blame you at all. He turned to step away and met eyes with Barnabas. He glowered for a second before turning back to see Celeste and Tim reuniting. We followed your trail into the cellar, but you were gone. What happened? Jessica asked, having wondered exactly that for weeks now. Tim smiled slightly as Celeste stepped back. I was trying to take Uncle Rick back to Grandpa Roland in the hopes that he could do something about it. But that must have been when the stone was removed. I was stuck out of time for I don't even know how long. It was just me, the body, and a lot of wine. The rest of the group listened in horror as he began to tell his story. The others chimed in when they had questions or wanted to add in their own tales. When the stories had all been exchanged and everyone was up to date on what had happened and with the threats made by Hans, Tim went straight to work explaining the plan. There was a little back and forth and adding of thoughts and ideas, but the plan stayed relatively similar to what had been brought up. Barnabas was going to stay back for obvious reasons but the rest of the team would be heading out the next morning. They left shortly afterwards for a celebratory drink and a shopping session at one of the local second-hand shops. When everyone had the appropriate clothes, they went back to Tristan and Jessica's place for a few more drinks and then turned in later that night. The next morning found the foursome at the Sands Point Cemetery. They had ventured off to a wooded corner that kept them obscured from any onlookers. Tim went over the plans one final time. Tristan, you're in charge of the staff. Are you sure you can make a run for us if it's needed? 
The older of his two cousins nodded sharply. I can push myself, no problem. As long as we're not running a marathon, I should be able to make it through. Good, Tim replied. He turned to Jessica. You keep your eye on him. The most important thing right now is that staff. If you guys have to leave us behind, do it. You can always try to find us again. But if we lose that, we're all stuck. The group exchanged looks. Celeste, you're with me. Are all of you guys ready? Jessica and Tristan nodded. Celeste grinned. Are you? Tim grabbed her hand and put a hand on Tristan's shoulder. I wasn't ready the first time I saw him. Why be ready now? Let's go. The group closed their eyes, stood in silence, and with a whoosh of air, were gone. October 17th. 1972. The foursome appeared not to have moved at all, save for a plaque nearby that was no longer where it had been only a moment ago. They let go of one another, and Tim spun on his heels. Let's go, he said to no one in particular, though they all knew exactly how this was meant to go down. Celeste and Tim walked along the iron fence line, keeping their vision focused on the growing crowd that was making its way to a large plot in the center of the cemetery. As the group made their way towards the plot, a younger man at the front of the crowd looked up to meet the gaze of Celeste and Tim. Immediately, he strayed from the funeral party and made his way straight towards them. He couldn't have been twenty with scruffy brown hair, but he carried himself like a man with squared shoulders and no fear. Tim and Celeste immediately straightened up and walked slowly forwards to meet him. We specifically had the cemetery shut down for today. This is a private ceremony. I'd like the two of you to leave, please, he said, not mincing words with either individual. Tim choked on his thoughts, but Celeste caught him and spoke in his stead. We know, sir. We're with the guard. We're to make certain that everything proceeds without incident. His eyes narrowed. The council never mentioned anything when we spoke, he replied, suspicion obvious in his tone. Her response was swift, as though practiced. No one wanted to alarm you, sir. Besides, it's proper procedure. You can't have so many important people in one place without taking extra precautions. He nodded sharply. Yes, thank you. I appreciate that. I suppose I should go back then. As he started to turn, Celeste elbowed Tim, who stepped forward and offered the younger man his hand for a shake. Sir, I met your father once. He was a great man, and may I say, it was an honor to serve with him. I am certain you will make an excellent protector of the stone. The man stopped and shook Tim's hand slowly. You're a little young to have served with my father, Mr. Tim choked again, but recovered much quicker this time around. Alistair, you can call me Alistair. It was only recently for me. You know how these things work. He offered the boy a smile and was gifted with a somber version of the same. Thank you, Alistair. That means a lot to me. You're welcome, Andrew, er, Mr. Edmund. The younger man offered him a polite nod and walked back to the group. Tim stood watching him, his eyes watering as he stayed completely still and silent. Celeste patted her cousin on the back. You okay, cuz? she asked, honestly worried he wasn't going to be able to recover. Yeah, I will be, he replied softly. 
All I ever wanted was an adult conversation with my dad. I got my wish. She let him have his moment, but was surprised when he started to move towards the crowd. Tim? She asked, taking a quick double step to catch up to him. I'm pretty sure I saw him weave into the crowd. He was barely paying attention to her. He only had eyes for the figure in the long, black overcoat with the upturned jacket collar and the brown fedora. The two made their way around the crowd as the priest began to address the assembled crowd. Everyone's attention was upon the reverend, save for the figure, and now Tim and Celeste. They approached from behind and stopped directly behind the man. He was pulling back his jacket to reveal a pistol with a silencer strapped to his hip. Before he could retrieve it, Tim had whipped out his own gun and shoved the muzzle directly into Hans's spine. Not a great idea, old friend, Tim hissed into his ear, spraying him with spittle unintentionally, but showed no remorse for doing so. Hans turned slowly, whispers sounding audibly around them as he did so, his eyes glowing slightly as he glared at Tim Edmund. You realize that in my current state, I could take several of your bullets and still kill my targets, including yourself? There was no fear in his eyes at all. Tim didn't falter for a moment. Celeste was taken aback by her cousin's strength. She had never seen him like this. To be fair, they hadn't seen much of one another, but this still felt very much out of character for him. You're no martyr, Tim replied, pressing the gun in harder for emphasis. You've wanted this for too long, been planning too long to be taken out now and leave your legacy to someone else. Hans turned and regarded the slowly lowering casket. You mean, like he did? From what I've been told, after he died, things were never the same. The essence was wasted on your family. You left it to rot in the ground, unused, when it could have made your family great. Instead, you used it to make certain that I and mine were cheated out of our legacy, something that could have made not only our family, but the world stronger. The whispers grew in volume and some of the nearby members of the funeral party looked around to see who was rude enough to interrupt such a solemn occasion. Tim chuckled. Don't go pretending like you care about the world, Hans. You were making a deal with the devil to better you and yours, and now you're just happy you're far away from a time where you'd have to make such a deal. Am I wrong? Not even a little, the man replied, still staring forward. Tim cleared his throat and pulled the gun up and to the left a few inches, closer to where the man's heart might be. I think it's time you left. You won't be getting what you wanted today. He could see the edges of a grin on Hans's face. Oh, that's hardly true, young Timothy. I have all the information I need now, and I know exactly who to seek out next, and where to find them. He turned to leave and shoved the man in front of him purposefully as he did so. A considerably older Island Sanchez turned quickly to see who had shoved him. He glared at the large man as he left, but was taken aback when he saw Tim standing next to him. Celeste was nowhere to be seen. Tim? he asked incredulously, stepping closer to his wartime friend and leaning in close so neither man would be heard. What are you doing here? Tim tried not to look surprised, but he wasn't able to hide it quite as well as he had hoped. He caught himself, though, and answered the man. Hans is back. You have to go into hiding, and so do the rest of the council. Don't tell anyone where you're going. Call Barnabas in a week. Hopefully, 
It'll be handled by then. Tim began to walk away when the Argentinian man stopped him. What will be handled by then? What are you going to do? Roland's grandson breathed out slowly and looked across the crowd. His father stood there, along with a much younger Flo, Rick, and even Barnabas, standing over top of the two younger of Roland's heirs, his hands upon their shoulders, comfortingly. Tim turned back to Island and gritted his teeth. We're going to find Hans and end him. Theme music by Carol Cockrell.